Well, hello. Welcome to our Everyday Mystics podcast series. This is a new exploration of conversation, storytelling, how we have come into mysticism and how we experience it in our everyday lives today. So welcome to this uh, ICN podcast and series we're calling Everyday Mystics. Some may think that a mystic is someone who lives in a cave or in the clouds, but in truth, being a mystic is not something that takes us out of living in the world, but more deeply into and through the regular circumstances of everyday life. These are stories of those who are living their embodied mysticism integrated into life as usual, but far from ordinary. So today I'm talking to Gregory Hartzler Miller. Hi, Greg. Uh, so good Hi, to Luke. be with you. Yeah. I'm I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk to you and um we, we I like to start out with this little question um and it's it's pretty straightforward uh but we can see how we feel about it. Uh do you consider yourself a mystic? Yes. Yes. Okay, why? And I'd like to say why. Um well, first in terms of operational um, I found WeSpace by Googling Christian, mystic, and some other terms. Mm. And the reason is that I do consider myself to be a mystic. And I honestly have never been asked this question in my recollection. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't share it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Normally. Right. So, you know, this is kind of a full circle. A, a year or so ago, I Google Christian mystics. I get involved in a WeSpace group. We're trying to find out what it means to be a WeSpace group, uh, you know, two times a month for a year over a year now. Mm. And uh, and now you're asking me the question that that really brought me here. Which yeah. is yes, yes. Yeah. I consider myself a mystic. You know. <laughs> well, that's great. What What does that mean to you? I mean, what What led you to Google Christian mystic or Christian mysticism? Yeah, I think a kind of a an unsettledness with what I consider ordinary Christianity, um, mm. and and that ordinary Christianity is beautiful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but for a long time now, it feels like I get it in a way other people don't get it. And I don't want to feel arrogant about it, but I don't also want to hide the fact, yeah. at, at least in my own self, that I'm getting something other people aren't quite getting mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> out of sure. my Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of it is just studying books like Bernard Begin's History of Christian Mysticism, getting into it seriously, um, studying for a year at Washington Theological Union, um, uh, picking up one of the classics of Christian uh, spirituality, Osuna's Third Spiritual Alphabet, and you know, turning it into a pilgrimage and a scholarly paper um, in Spain. That the Third Spiritual Alphabet was the book that Teresa of Avila used to learn. Uh, recollection, which is kind of like 
uh, 16th century centering prayer. And it was soon, it was kind of like Thomas Keating. He mm-hmm. was, he was a, he was a monk teaching recollection to the laity. So before uh, Teresa was a nun, you know, she was, she was a, she was a girl with some special problems and she was given this book and it helped her. And uh, so I took it as my book. I, I just picked it up in the library one day and I just, it just made sense to me. Hmm. So I, I call the editor and we're talking at the medieval Institute and Thomas and, you know, they're, they're teaching centering prayer at, in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And it, it was a whole journey for me. So yeah. Um, I'm a mystic. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Love it. You name it and claim it. And, you know, I I think it's very true. Like what you're saying, you're getting something mystic. So a lot of times I think we feel like we're, we're having these experiences and yeah. in that sort of regular, ordinary Christianity, if we try to talk about it, if we tried to say that to people were around, you know, we might get some funny looks or um, blank stares at best. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Right. But then, like you said, it's very much a part of the Christian tradition and it's there and there's a lot of, um, you know, academic academic study of it and looking back at the mystics. Um, But we're always right trying to to say I'm a mystic, you're a mystic, right? How do we bring that into life now? How is that carried forward now? And I know that sometimes, right, a lot of times leads us to study those things. But but what? Why did you take that Asuna book on as your own? Did did you had you had mystical experiences before that or early in life that kind of started to awaken you to those realities? Or yeah, uh, I think as I flipped it open, one of the first things I noticed was his use of the metaphor of fire. Hmm. And um, that meant a lot to me at the time um, because I had had an experience of, like when I experienced it, my first thought was fire. (laughs) I mean, quite, oh, that's a metaphor that's just obvious. (laughs) Um, But but I'd like to talk about this because it's, it's extraordinary, but I know I'm hoping people will listen to this and not expect that they should have this experience. I'm gonna tell about something that I experienced. It's me, I'm not bragging about it. It is what it is, yeah. um, but uh, but I haven't found anybody else that had exactly the experience of fire that I have. But uh, yeah, it happened in sleep paralysis. So I'm 33 years old, I'm in bed, I'm having a dream. But it's a very unusual dream. It's extremely luminous. It feels holy. In the dreamscape, there's a holiness. And there's also a solemnity and a, you know, something that you find in the Christian tradition is that in Galatians, uh, Paul says Jesus was cursed. You know, he was on a tree. If you're on a tree, you're cursed, you know. Well, that's how the dream ended. I heard this voice saying, I'm cursed. And I heard it as something I was participating in. And it didn't feel like cursed. It felt, it felt like real curse, but it felt so real that it's a good thing. You know, I love those, those mystics who say, you know, I'd be gladly go to hell <laughs> for the people I love for the God I love. Um, so anyway, I wake up with this, I'm cursed. And I try to breathe. I can't, I can't breathe. And 
since childhood, I'd had these experiences of waking up from a dream suddenly. And I've since learned it's called sleep paralysis. Your mind's awake, but your body is still in the paralysis of sleep. And always before, when I was in this, I learned that if I just relaxed, you know, that my breath would just naturally come back. So just don't panic. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, so I just, I did the old formula, just, okay, relax. Um, but this particular night, it was not normal because um, I had this explosion of inner energy and it was, and, and that's when I said fire, you know? Um, and, and what I'm going to tell you is a story that could be described as rapture in the classical sense that Teresa Lavabla describes it. And so what happened was there was this feeling of my physical body levitating up. And I thought, well, okay, I don't believe in literal letter levitation. So I know this can't be happening, but inside it feels like it's happening. You know, this, yeah. this feels like levitation. My physical body is being raised up. So that's stage one. And I'll call that in the body. I don't know. <laughs> and this um, was while you're in sleep paralysis. Well, Yes. After. You know, yeah. I was, I said, okay, be calm. You'll get your breath back. Yeah. Before I got my breath back, mm, okay. I burst into the flame and I start levitating. Okay. Yeah. So this is not normal, right? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, but it's mystical. Yes. And that's what we're yeah. here. That's what we're talking okay. about. It's good. It's good. All right. All right. So, um, so then I, well, at first my reaction as an observer participant is to fight it. Hmm. And so I'm like struggling to get back to normal. And so I try to yell or move my body or sit up or anything, nothing works. So I realize, okay, I just have to give up. And then this feeling of terror and fire, it morphs into like stage two. And in this stage two, it's there's a definite sense of a soul rising up out of the body. So I'm still ascending, but this time it doesn't feel physical. It feels like a soul, a luminous consciousness rising up out of the body, just like you would imagine or picture death. If you believe in souls leaving the body at death. And, and that was my thought. I was like, okay, I might be dying. Mm -hmm. I don't know. At the same time, it was great. I mean, it was pleasure. It mm. was it was heavenly. It was it like if 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 what I want in life a lot of the times is pleasure, like let's just say a really good orgasm with the ultimate lover. Mm. Um let's just say that was it. You know, it was it was like wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this yeah. was this was worth the wait. <laughs> because it felt so good to be a soul rising up out of the body and that luminosity of pleasure. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and I was like, okay, well, if I'm dying, I'm dying. It's okay. I can live. Mm. I can, I can accept that this is the end of, of, of life, at least life as I know it. Like this is, um, 
So that's stage two. Out of the body, I don't know. Um, stage three. Now, I've thought about this a lot, so I'm putting it into stages, but I'm trying not to impose on something that isn't there. There really was three stages, okay? okay. <laughs> um, stage three, there's no more pleasure, no more sense of a soul body, no more luminosity. It's just consciousness, just thought in a perceptual void. Now, this I'd read about as an idea of the Neoplatonists. And that's what I thought to myself, ah, oh, so this is what the Neoplatonists were talking about. And, and it was kind of a laugh. It was kind of an aha laugh. <laughs> and, uh, and my mind, it was, it was like mental clarity. It was like communion with, uh, with, with, maybe Plato. I didn't know who'd had these experiences, but it felt like I was really communing with, with, a, with a few of the intellectual elite. Not that I needed to be smart to get there. <laughs> it was just given to me, okay? I didn't aspire to it. I didn't even think, it, I didn't even think this state of being was a possibility. I always thought it was just an idea for some reason that people in antiquity talked about and that scholars talked about, but I didn't think that it was a, just a, a passively received experience, which it, it was it's stage three. So um, stage four. Now stage four is about entrance and exit. So in stage three ended and I remember it ending. <laughs> and then, so let's go to, let's skip forward to stage five. Stage five is exiting stage four. Stage five is suddenly I'm back in bed. I'm lying flat on my back. I'm breathing fine. There's a kind of a luminosity over my whole body. And there's a feeling of ultimate desirelessness. Like my mind isn't searching for anything, my heart, my body. I just, and, and there was perceptual, it, there was this, um, I knew that I constantly, and I still do, I'm to this right now, there's always something that I want that I'm not getting. I live in a constant state of wanting something I'm not getting. And if you just ask, you know, what is it that I would like to have now that I don't have? I can usually come up with something if I admit it to myself. Well, in that moment, there was, a, there was an absence of any of that. There was just this complete being of in my body, in my mind, breathing, a complete integration. I was just lying in bed there just like I was before, but I was completely contemplative. Oddly, that state, I knew it was going to be temporary. And I would say it probably lasted about 20 minutes, which is the recommended centering prayer time, <laughs> <laughs> before I rolled on my side and went back to sleep. Hmm. I woke up the next morning and I put it, I wrote it in my journal, you know, details that I thought I might forget. And I thought, and I knew there was parts I wouldn't forget. And I was right. I can 
there are it's sort of left an imprint on mm. my, on me so that if I go into centering prayer, I can I can tune into different levels of consciousness, and for the most part, I try to be more on the embodied side of things like that. That stage five, mm. um, the fourth stage of pure non-duality um, is a is, is a sort of a refined consciousness that a lot of mystics do talk about like in meditation books. And I found it helpful to know that Hmm. by remembering what it was just before I entered it and what it was just when I came out of it, it's like deep sleep, but you know, when you go to sleep, you go to sleep tired and you usually wake up groggy, (laughs) (laughs) but this is just the opposite. I went into that stage more lucid than ever, you know, in this pure consciousness. And I came out of it in embodied uh, desirelessness. So, so that was a very peculiar um, deep sleep uh, because of that instant. There was no, there was no grogginess. When I came out of it, my mind was clear. Mm-hmm. With no background noise, it mm-hmm. was just thereness, yeah. present, present moment awareness, mm-hmm. and and I find that a lot of times in meditation books, um, these states are alluded to as as goals or you know something to think about as possible. Um, I won't say that I can conjure it up and repeat it. It was just given to me. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, it seems like you had this whole unfolding of stages of a mystical journey all in one night or morning, right? That that just kind of had elements of this, right? Ecstasy, rapture, fire, non-duality, um, you know, pure mind, whatever language we, right, we try to find to put to it. And like, so that was when you were 33. And do you feel like you kind of were starting to allude to this? Do you feel like you can access those? Are you, what do you feel those stages now in your life? Do you feel, has that unfolded in different ways or how is that kind of in your relation to your experience? Well, even years I, later, I, yeah. I definitely am not desireless. Um, mm. I have a lot of desires. And so because well, of that's these, good that you're still human. You didn't ascend to a, <laughs> a totally different plane entirely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so because of these desires, it takes discipline to sort of sort through them. Mm. And, uh, and so when we're in a we space group, how do I negotiate my desires, my awareness of desires with also my, my um, commitment to, to being a we. Um, and so when I'm doing integral prayer and I'm sort of relaxing and, and going to into receptive kind of mode, that's what I do is I, I go into a blank mind and then just see what pops up and it's real. I mean, there's a blankness and there's unexpected things popping up. And then I have to decide, do I share this or not? And what, what does it even mean? And it's, and I'm still sorting through, you know, I, I don't really, I don't consider myself adept at this we space thing, but there is a relationship between that ascent of the soul experience and what I do when I'm doing integral prayer. Yeah. 
Um, and when we're doing our full body meditation, there it does approximate the kind of desirelessness that I felt um, in the stage five laying on my back. I mean, part of what I want, part of what I desire is to be in my body and be accepting of my body. Um, like if I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It's, you know, Hey, yeah, yeah. it's all right. <laughs> yeah. And what the we space prayer process, when we're doing our prayer, we're getting comfortable sitting with a group. I tend to, if I, if I feel a little lonely, I say, yeah, I feel to myself, I say, I feel lonely. I know this is an illusion. I'm really interested in seeing how it resolves. And very quickly it does. Often there's this just this feeling of being part of a common flow. Mm. Um, but the loneliness is part of it because I wouldn't know the unity without the loneliness. Yeah. It's it's back and forth. Yeah. So I guess this is where I'm I'm integrating uh, an experience given to me at 33 with this we space group that I found by googling mystic mystical Christianity, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that the other people in the group haven't had my same experiences, but I also know that my experiences, although they're very distinctive and and uh, sort of classic. Um, it's all about mind and body. We all have minds and bodies. Um, and we're all using this discipline to, to experience, would it be higher levels of consciousness? Would it be, maybe just the question is, what is the form that love needs to take right now in this time in history, in this time in our shared journeys as people, as Christians as as people with Zoom with this technology, um, what form does it need to take, and how can we, you know, um, move forward, admit failure, be grateful, affirm others? Uh, these are the questions I'm asking, and I, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, those are those are great questions, and I love how. Um, yeah, that this practice of of we space and whole body mystical awakening together with others is um, is resonant, connects in with, like you said, everyone has different types of mystical experiences or these moments in the past, but we're we're bringing them into the present. We're bringing them into bear through these practices that we're doing together, and and it raises yeah these questions of of integration and how do we live and and how do we bring it forth and. Um, so yeah, my, I, I know a little bit of, of your story and how, um, you know, I, I just also want to ask a little bit about your integration of how you've integrated that mysticism into your everyday life. And, and, you know, everyone goes different paths with this. And I, I, I know a little bit that it's been, um, it's had a huge effect on your life and the way that you live. Right. So I don't know how much of that or all of what you want to talk about, but that's, that's one path, right? We, we have these profound experiences or we have these movements into mysticism. And a lot of times the question is right how then now do we live? <laughs> um, so hopefully our we space groups, you know, um, help us in that process over time. Um, but that's many years after, after you've, so you, you've had a long, uh, 
integration process with that over many years and and have taken some pretty interesting um, pathways and decisions and choices. So yeah, if you could just share a little bit about that, uh, I think I'd appreciate well, it. Yeah. Um, I had a spiritual director at the time that I had that experience. And so I told her about it. Um, and she gave me two bits of advice and, you know, I don't know if it was the right advice, but she said, let's just keep it between you and me right now. Don't mm-hmm. tell other people. And also you might want to read the living flame of love by John of the cross. So I didn't even tell my wife for the first months. Mm-hmm. And when I did finally tell her, she was like, why, why did it take so long to tell me? And it doesn't make sense to me. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I go to the library and I'm reading this living flame of love poem and it's talking about, it's really beautiful, sensual language. And, and something happened that in the library there, I found myself getting sexually aroused reading the poem and it was uncomfortable enough uh, that I thought maybe this was wrong Mm. for me to be doing this. Mm. And I sort of avoided it for quite a time reading living flame of love. I mean, specifically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, at that point, I didn't know about John of the Cross's other writings to explain this stuff. <laughs> um, and it gets pretty, uh, I mean, I think he had some of the same struggles that I do about how to deal with physical sensations of desire. Now, he's a monk. He's gone to extremes. Um, and And when I hear Paul Smith, who is... A, a leader in We Space talk about how his journey toward the We Space experience has been somewhat a journey of coming to terms with his own sexual desires and figuring out how to how to be present with that in relationship. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate his candor there. Hmm. Um, and I identify with him kind of vicariously, I think. In Christianity, we're so uncomfortable talking about sex that I went to a yoga group where they weren't so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. so, uh, so there, advanced yoga practices. And I, I sort of made a journey into a yoga. It was an online yoga group. And, and really a starting point was desire, specifically sexual desire. And how does that relate to Kundalini energy? Yeah. So little did I know that Thomas Keating had written the forward to a book on Kundalini, uh, Kundalini and Christian spirituality. I, I then learned about that. Um, so coming full circle, um, I'm convinced that, Wherever we are in our spiritual journey, we have to deal with our bodies. And then maybe that's the main, <laughs> that's the main thing we need to face up to mm-hmm. is, is, okay, I'm, 
I'm experiencing desires. How do I relate that to this journey of, of knowing and loving? How do I be, you know, ideally I find, how do I be utterly nonviolent and other, utterly at the same time honest, at least with God? And that way, you know, holding, holding things lightly and saying, okay, oh, sorry. Or somebody wants to say, you know, I'm not interested in being in a relationship anymore. Okay. Somebody wants to say, let's talk about this. Love you. Okay. I, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, there's a kind of a lightness and a seriousness at the same time. Yeah. Um, and really paying attention to where, what other people what are their desires? What are their feelings about desire? Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, that's really I, good. I, I, I just love, I mean, I'm resonating and feeling what you're describing in the sense of, of almost uh, an, a, a sort of coming together of, of opposites or right. Almost a paradox in both sort of the, the non-attachment and also the embrace of desire and humanity and embodiment. And that's also reflective of your experience, right? That had both the fire, the explosion of, you know, we could call it Kundalini energy or Christ energy, or, you know, this, that is um, ecstatic and erotic. And, you know, that's there in St. Teresa, right? That's there in, in, in many of the mystics. And, and I appreciate your candor and your um, expressing of that, because it is, like you said, hard for, Christians to talk about sometimes hard for lots of people to talk about. Um, but it really belongs and it's part of part of this experience. And and yet also there's this relational component, right? There's this this we space of it where we're feeling our own desires or non-attachment to those or 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 sometimes the embrace of those, right? I'm hungry. And then we're also developing and growing in that attunement of, of the, of the resonance among and between in that embodied felt sense. Like you're saying, what do they desire? What's, what's the energy alive in them that's speaking and, and then the recognition and the, even the experience that, oh, this is the same energy, right? We're, <laughs> we're in the same reality um, in these moments. So, hmm. Hmm. Like many a good conversation about mysticism does, uh, it's brought us to silence. (laughs) At least it's brought me to silence in just sort of this um, space of appreciation and resonance. And um, yeah, Greg, I'm just really grateful for you sharing what you've shared. And and like I said, for your your openness and honesty and just... um, yeah, these, these experiences that we have in our lives that, like, as you said, have different forms, but I'm sure will, yeah, resonate in many ways with a lot of people who are listening. So thank you so much. I hope so. Yeah. I, 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 um, I didn't say what my age is. I'm 60. What, how old are you, Luke? Uh, I'm 38. (laughs) So, um, I want to also say, I appreciate you as a younger man, uh, interviewing me, knowing I'm an older man, um, I I don't get that a lot from younger younger people, um, and there's a kind of a segregation of the old and the young. So so thank you for um, being willing to have a have a deeply intimate mystical conversation with an old guy. Oh, thank you. We absolutely we uh, 
the the I, I don't know if you'd want me to call you an elder or not. I don't know if you <laughs> think you're yeah. you're old enough. Yeah, I mean, that, but uh, there's literally, a real, yeah. literally, I am elder. Yeah. Um, well, and and in that and in the spiritual sense too, there's there's um there's a real need for elders, and there's a need for people like you bringing your voice and sharing that um, in ways that can resonate with other elders and can also resonate with, with younger people. Um, and this is a way for, for that to come through. Cause sometimes our, our problem is access or connection or um, right. Fear or whatever it might be, right. That, that holds us apart in our sort of individualistic society. So this, this conversation, this presence, this way of showing up is one way that both you and I can participate in that, that availability and for you to participate in your eldership. So I'm grateful to you for that and appreciate you so much. And thank you. Thank you so much. 